Blog Talk Radio. Right into this world, all alone. God take your soul, you're on your own. A crow flies straight, a perfect line. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to Weigh In Sports Talk. I'm your host, Brian Tarvin. It's going to be a big show tonight. I'm getting the studio up and running, so if you're out there calling in right now, stay put. Make sure you hit number one, and I'll be with you just momentarily. We're about to get rolling tonight uh, after a crazy week of football. Let me... It's crazy. Dallas going to Seattle, winning. Uh, Mississippi State looking like the Seattle Seahawks. Not today, but overall. Ole Miss. I mean, what's going on in the world of sports? I mean, is this a nightmare, Trey? I mean, did I did I go to bed Friday night and I just haven't, you know, woken from a from a bad nightmare? Because yesterday was a bad nightmare for me, buddy. <laughs> well, I mean, this is college football. It's- it's kind of what happens, man. Some good games that uh, went down, and we're seeing, um, you know, the separation coming this month, and it's happening to people uh, all across the country who are a little bit shocked, and Auburn being one of them. I- I'm one of them, too, Starvin. I thought Auburn was the best team in the country going into this weekend. And, whew, you know, had to rethink a lot of things as of this morning. It just reminded me so much of last year at this time when they went into LSU, got down 21 to nothing on the road, couldn't come back. Went to bye week and came out smoking. I'm hoping, dreaming, that's what happens. But, you know, that's why I don't give teams hard times about their teams losing. You notice last week Alabama lost. I didn't say a word to anybody because I knew that it's just coming. It's just a matter of time before Auburn, looking at their schedule, went on the road and, and stumbled. But, you know, I never lost hope in that game. And we'll talk about that game in detail. I never lost hope in the first quarter when it was 21 to nothing and when they cut it to eight. But, you know, Mississippi State, you have to credit them for winning a game because once you're in that position and you're not being overlooked anymore, it's just sometimes it's hard to finish off a game once you have a big lead trade. You're up 21 to nothing, and all of a sudden it's shrunk to eight. I just think Mississippi State executed better, and, and they deserved it last night. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think they uh, came out really strong. Auburn came out pretty flat. I mean, that's, that's for sure. It's just I don't I don't understand how you can't take Mississippi State. I mean, to me, and I don't know if they did, but it's just like you have to take them serious because they're a very good football team, especially playing in their backyard. You look at Auburn's only road game this year, they barely survived Kansas State. So it's not like they dominate on the road or anything. I was not concerned about that game. Honestly, it was like you. I thought Auburn would take care of business and – Probably win by two scores, but boy, I was wrong. But let's uh, let's move to the NFL real quick before we get into our college football tray. Uh, just a crazy day in the NFL. It wasn't exciting because you know I felt like I had a hangover after a loss. But Dallas Cowboys, we'll start with them going on the road, and actually they looked like the better team in this game. Yeah, I was. I mean, I, there were two teams that really surprised me this weekend in, in uh, the NFL. Dallas Cowboys, if, if they aren't, they didn't surprise you with how how well they played today. 
Um, yeah. You know, you're one of the few believers going into that game. Uh, the other team was the Cleveland Browns dominating the Pittsburgh Steelers. Those two teams, to me, um, you know, all the hype going into this, this season about, you know, Johnny Manziel and, and look what look what the Cleveland Browns have been doing with him on the bench. I mean, Hoyer has looked great, and the Cleveland Browns are playing pretty good. So those two teams surprised me the most. And, Jonathan, I see you out there. I'm about to bring you in shortly where the studio is kind of stalling real quick. Just stay right there with me. And, and you know, Dallas is a team that, that we picked them to win the division last year, and everybody laughed at us. Mm-hmm. I think that's what we were expecting last year, Trey, was something more along the lines of what they're doing this season. But you look at an offensive line, you have to have one that dominates to go on the road to Seattle and win. And Dallas is probably the best team in football right now. Yeah, I mean, you think about them. Keep They kept drafting offensive linemen. They drafted them this year. Again, you know, when the Johnny Manziel pick came up and people were like, whoa, what are you doing? Why are you not drafting uh, Johnny Manziel? And look what they're doing. Yeah, I'm going to bring Jonathan in. Jonathan, I don't know about you, man, but, but the Dallas Cowboys today played a great game. And, man, you lied to me. You said Carolina lost. They tied, man. Well, <laughs> The Carolina game, I thought that one was pretty much over, and then all of a sudden Mike Nugent pushes one wide, uh, wide right. Uh, that, that game's unbelievable. And let's be honest, man, there's no winning a tie. It's a loss no matter what. I mean, it's almost like the game never happened. But you guys are right. Dallas came out. They controlled this game from the onset. They looked absolutely fantastic today in all phases of the game. was thoroughly impressed with what I saw. Uh, Trey hit on the head. The drafting of Tyron Smith, uh, drafting of uh, Frederick, and drafting of uh, Zach Martin. Great picks, smart picks, and it's led to a great foundation for this team where they can run the ball. DeMarco Murray um, and Joseph Randall both had over 40 yards rushing before the first half. Seattle hadn't allowed anyone back to have 40 yards rushing in a game going into this. Absolutely phenomenal. Really impressed with these Cowboys today. Yeah, the Dallas Cowboys, like, it, it all starts. Anytime you see a team struggling, having a bad season, you need to look at the quarterback position. And if you're looking at the quarterback position, you've got to be looking at the offensive line. And Dallas has struggled over the past few years on the offensive line. Now they're dominating. Guess what? Offensive line. You look at college football, Ole Miss, offensive line, Mississippi State, offensive line. I mean, it's just it's, – it's simple. Do you have a good offensive line, and then can you put a quarterback? Well, Tony Romo has always been capable of being a great quarterback, but he did lack an, an offensive line. So a lot of those playoff losses Dallas experienced in the past could be because of that offensive line, John. I agree. I think you're right. Um, you know, because you're right. Romo has always been a, a decent quarterback, good quarterback, and now you have a very good offensive line in front of him. That way he can take care of business. Uh, Missing State Ole Miss, both of them have been – you can see that you can see them recruiting that for the line and trying to get them better and better. And now this, their offensive lines have really done a great job of keeping their quarterbacks upright, uh, holding the pockets long enough for for them to find their receivers, their weapons downfield. It's been it's been really good to see good offensive line play um, out of these teams because a lot of teams in the NFL that's what that's all they're looking for is offensive linemen, and we actually are going to see some really good prospects in this upcoming draft. Yeah, then let's shift over, and, Trey, I'll start with you. Carolina Panthers tied the Bengals like we talked about in overtime, 37-37. Is Cam Newton finally getting healthy? Because today was the first day all season we saw him actually run the ball, design runs, had 100 
over 100 yards rushing in this game, and he had 200 and some odd yards, almost 300 yards passing. So, Trey, you have to be impressed with Carolina going on the road to Cincinnati. Some said was the best team in the NFL, especially in the AFC, but you have to be impressed with the way they performed on the road today. Yeah, I thought Cam Newton, uh, even though he threw that interception late in the game, was playing a pretty good ball game, and I thought that um, basically the Bengals, you know, who I thought were going to dominate that game, and Carolina wasn't going to look good. Uh, really surprised how well Carolina played. The tie is just, I mean, even if you're a Carolina fan, come on, a tie, it's like it's the worst thing the NFL has going for, and they got to fix it. We've said it for years. Uh, but at least Carolina comes away with a tie. It's one of those things that they come down to the end of the season, and it sometimes can make a big difference when you have that this tie sitting out there. It doesn't go down as a winner or a loss, so it kind of hurts you both ways. But Carolina, I mean, great they played to a tie, but, you know, bad for all of us who have to watch a tie. And, and Jonathan, I, I think we look at Carolina, and they finally figured it out. Hey, we're not going to make the playoffs this year if, Car- if Cam Newton is not running the football. And it's not because he's just a great runner. It's because they have no weapons really to – to keep defenses honest. They're trying to close in and shut the short passing game down the running game. Without Cam Newton running the football, they get blown out today in Cincinnati. You're right. I mean, you're right. Cam looked great. He looked healthy today. He played really well. And yeah, I mean, outside of Greg Wilson and Kelvin Benjamin, who um, Kelvin and his hands have been inconsistent, I mean, there's really no other threats in the passing game that, you know, that are going to keep defenses honest. So to see Cam be able to be mobile and, and add that dual threat capability that we know he's capable of, this Carolina offense now is another dimension that's uh, going to hopefully free up the running backs and this Carolina offense will really start rolling now. Yep, and we're going to take a quick call from the 717 area code. You're on way in sports. Who's this and where are you from? Guys, got to throw it out. It's Mike in Pittsburgh, but how about them Cowboys? Um, long, long-suffering Cowboy fan – um, you know, we're talking, you know, 30 years, uh, but uh, what a great win for Dallas. I tell you what, um, that second half, they tried to shoot themselves in the foot, and, you know, the previous five years or so, they would have found a way to lose that game, um, but this game they won. And, um, you know, I, I, I'm going to throw it out there. I don't know if you guys watched it. I still have issues with Jason Garrett and his clock management. Um, he basically could have ran the clock down to about 25 seconds, and he's trying to run stretch plays, and uh, they get a holding call, which stops the clock. They gave Seattle one more um, chance. But I'm not going to play negative here because it was such a big win. Um, I'm just, you know, everyone was writing them off after that San Francisco game. They come out, you know, and they get whipped by San Francisco, go 0-1, and everyone's, you know, talking the Cowboys mm-hmm. are going to go 3-13, and 13, you know, 8-8 eight and eight again, and here we are sitting at 5-1. and one. Best record in the NFL. Yeah, and I think this improvement is not Jason Garrett, and it's it's just no, the draft exactly. to get the offensive lineman, and, and one of the most talented teams year in and year out, Dallas. They always have great athletes and players, but now they have an offensive line. You have to watch out for the Cowboys, especially in the East. Well, and I would say this, um, I, you know, I kind of look back to bit when Barry Switzer was there. They won despite him, but with uh, Marinelli and Linehan as the offensive and defensive coordinator, respectively, they're doing a, uh, an unbelievable job. I mean, Marinelli's taken over a defense from last year, which was historically bad. 
that lost to Marcus Ware, that lost Sean Lee, that lost Jason Hatcher, and he basically turned these no-name guys into a a solid defense here that, you know, shut down Seattle. Uh, Seattle's only two touchdowns were from a block punt and a muff punt, you know, that they got the ball at the 10-yard line. So I think just the coaching alone, um, and you throw in the offensive line right now, um, it's a really good recipe. I totally agree. And, man, thanks for the call in Pittsburgh. Big Dallas Cowboys fan, Jonathan, he has every right to be excited. But, you know, football is a crazy game. It can change. But as long as Dallas keeps doing the basics, they're going to be fine and they will make the playoffs this year. The the question is, how deep can they go? Because this team has the tools, Jonathan, to be able to go all the way, especially in this NFL uh, you know, and that, yeah, I mean, they. This is a team that I think can win this division. Um, defensively, they look very solid, with, and it pains me to see that because in Tampa we tried so hard to get Rod Marinari to come back, and Jerry Jones wouldn't give him up. And obviously, Jerry Jones knew a uh, very good move to keep Marinelli uh, on his staff. I mean, he's done wonders with this defense. Cowboys' defense will dictate how deep they go. And this defense looks very good right now. I think this is a team that could make a push to Super Bowl. I'm ready to put them out of the contender. I mean, out of the pretenders and into the contenders. I think this is a team offensively, defensively. They have everything together. This is a team that's going to make a push for Super Bowl this year. And Trey, I don't know about you, but I, I don't see Tony Romo out there trying to win games by himself anymore. I mean, 21 of 32, not terrible. I mean, that's the that's not bad. He's only sacked one time, which is a huge improvement. If you can keep Tony or Tony Romo upright, Dallas is going to be okay this season. Yeah, I mean that's a big part of it, and part of it is is, is Romo has always had an escapability in the pocket. But if you watched when he spun away from that that that, that Watt sack um, last week, and then he did the same thing today uh, during the game, and both of those were, were really big big plays. Uh, momentum-wise, I thought, for for the offense and the offensive line, because even when they got beat, Romo was able to help them out a little bit. And I think they, they've been playing inspired uh, offensive line, and especially in the run game. I mean, that helps Tony Romo out so much when you know when it's a third and two and they could run or pass and work off the play action a little bit. So, yeah, I mean, Dallas' offensive line and, and DeMarco Murray staying healthy is critical. Um, because it's really been a game changer what DeMarco Murray has been doing. I mean, th- th- you can't really give him enough credit either. All right. Well, you know, the NFL is a good day. I mean, it, it was okay, but the elephant in the room here is college football right now and what's going on <laughs> in the world of college sports, Trey. Forget the rest of the games right now. We're going to move on to the rest of the show and talk some college football because that's what the callers are wanting to talk about right now. That's what everybody out there is wanting to hear about. The NFL is amazing right now. It's it's interesting. And I just want to throw on, throw in anytime you can go on the road and beat Seattle. And I know the last, the previous caller brought up some negativity, man, if I'm a Dallas fan right now, I could care less what happened in the final seconds of the game. We won. And that's really all that matters. So, Trey, I'm, I'm, I may be jumping on that Cowboys bandwagon if they keep playing good. Yeah, I mean, you're right. And I just want to also step back and thanks thanks for that call. Um, I think it was Mike. Uh, good call. Good knowledge on this team yep. and the Cowboys. Uh, always love good callers like that who call in and ready to, to throw some smack down about their team. 
Uh, so I enjoyed that, Carvin. But, you know, really, the Cowboys just deserve a lot of credit. I mean, you could probably count over the last five seasons um, <laughs> on, on, you know, one or two hands the losses that Seattle's had at home. It's, they're rare. It's one a year maybe. Uh, so Dallas building in there and winning that way gives them a lot of confidence going forward and really shakes Seattle a little bit. We'll have to see how they re- they rebound next week. Well, I want to I want us look at college football real quick and Jonathan, I want to start with you in the polls and and Mississippi State and Ole Miss have both been very impressive this season. Both are 6 and 0. Yes, Mississippi State's ranked number 1. Ole Miss is ranked number 3. In between those two, we have Florida State, a team that Kind of losing ground, but I think they'll pick it back up once they beat Notre Dame by three touchdowns this weekend. But here we go. Mississippi State, Jonathan, why are they getting so much more love in first-place votes than Ole Miss? Ole Miss has three first-place votes in the 25, Mississippi State 45. What has Mississippi State accomplished that Ole Miss hasn't? Well, the one thing that separates Mississippi State from Ole Miss is going to LSU and winning. Um, you know, and I know LSU has been down this year, but it's still hard to go into Death Valley and pull out a victory. Um, and we'll find out if Ole Miss can do that in a couple weeks when they go to LSU. Another thing that's going to separate them is Mississippi State beat Auburn, who a lot of people are saying odds are Auburn is not, if they're not the number one team, number two team in the SEC behind Alabama. Uh, clearly, you know, going into last week, everybody said Auburn's top team in the SEC, no doubt about it. We saw what happened. And, you know, it's just college football, okay? Going on the road and winning is very difficult, especially in your conference. And that's what's separating Mississippi State from Ole Miss right now, that Auburn win. Ole Miss, I mean, they beat A&M, they beat Alabama, and everybody's just kind of like, well, they're good. But to beat Auburn is better than beating Alabama right now. And it's it's odd saying that because Alabama's been such a, a figure since 2008. But that's what it is. Alabama's no longer the king of the mountain. I mean, everybody needs to realize that. Even Alabama fans, I hate saying it, and please, you know, Phyllis, don't call in and tear me apart like you did Colin Coward. But that's the fact of the matter. Well, I look at the coaches' poll, which I've, you've, you've heard me for years, not just tonight, bash on the coaches' poll. The fact they have Michigan State ahead of Alabama and Auburn right now, they drop Auburn to eight. What Michigan State, they've only played one team this year. And they got they got blown out on the road by Oregon, twenty point, twenty two, whatever. Auburn went on the road and lost to the number one team, which now Mississippi State was number three, and they dropped below them. I mean, come on, Big Ten, get out of here with Michigan State. They're a good football team, but you're giving them too much credit. Alabama deserved to be where they are. I mean, they they looked bad last night against an Arkansas team. But Trey, I wanna I wanna ask you, what is who are you more impressed with, Mississippi State or Ole Miss? Because when you look at it, at the end of the day, at the end of the season, that Egg Bowl is in Oxford. So it's, it's going to be a huge game. Well, to me, and this is kind of a controversial stance, and I've heard a lot of people gripe about it. You know, Mississippi State, I think the first team since, what, 1983, to be three straight top ten teams. And, yes, we know a lot about those teams, at least two of those teams, that we know aren't top ten teams. We know Texas A&M is is lucky to be in the top 25 right now. And we know LSU really isn't a top 25 team. 
But still, what impresses me about that, and I give them credit for it the same way I give you know, Florida State credit for it last year and everybody did when they played Miami, uh, is because you have to get up for that game. And when you play that game, at the time, you don't know that team isn't legit. So Mississippi State had to get up three straight times with people saying they're playing a top-ten team, they had to get up to play those. And the third one of those, Tarvin, was Auburn, um, who I don't think is, is under or overrated. So I think that matters more to me than Ole Miss, who hasn't had to get up back-to-back-to-back for big games like that. I mean, A&M on the road was already a team that had gotten exposed. And so that matters to me. I mean, yeah, they held them the victory is great. Well, what do we see the next week, Tarvin? We see Alabama struggling with a very mediocre Arkansas team. And so I think Mississippi State right now has to be out ahead. You know, Auburn's the only team to beat Arkansas like a drum. I know it was the first week of the season, but, you know, when you when you play in college football and you're playing teams that are your equal or maybe just a little bit below, it's, you, you can't take for granted the physical wear and tear it puts on you and, you know, if you don't, if you're not mentally sharp and physically sharp, you're going to make mistakes. You're not going to execute. And you know what? A good team. And y'all heard me say this, Trey. What was it? Three or four weeks ago, I said Mississippi State, or once they beat LSU, and I predicted it. They remind me of a 2010 Auburn team where they have a bunch of seniors that are bought into a system. They have a quarterback to be able to lead them. And Dan Mullen, I mean, his stock just went through the roof yesterday and he'll be at Florida next season he marked my words on that but I have a feeling about this team there's some magic brewing in Mississippi State their schedule's favorable at home now they 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 have to play Alabama and Tuscaloosa and the Ole Miss and the Egg Bowl but both of those are winnable games if you're Mississippi State I just feel like there's some magic going around with this team well to me uh they remind me kind of the sort of the Tebow years for Florida um, you know, you watch Tebow play, and you kept, you're like, how is this guy good? I mean, his throw motion was jacked up. He runs like a tank. But he just seemed to play perfectly under the spotlight. You know, Prescott made a lot of mistakes last night, but he kind of reminded me more of that. And I know they, they built that up when we're watching the game. But at least from an <laughs> athletic standpoint, I think he's more along the lines of Tebow than he is Cam Newton because he doesn't have the arm strength or the accuracy that Newton has. But – uh, you know, I don't know if there's something special yet about this team, Carvin, because I think the West is still, while it is the premier, um, you know, conference, if you will, because I mean it's a conference unto itself, uh, with the, the East being so bad. We, there's a lot of things that we don't know. We thought A&M was much better, at least some people did. You know, Arkansas, we're not sure about. So we'll see. I think Mississippi State looks like they have it, you know, better than Ole Miss. Uh, but there's a lot of stumbling blocks. But, but Jonathan, you look at the rankings right now. Mississippi State, Florida State, Ole Miss, Baylor, Notre Dame, Auburn, Alabama, Michigan State. There's still six weeks left of football, plus conference championship games. So what's the chances of this poll being shaken up a lot more than what it's been? Because I look at it, and, and Mississippi State's going to be playing with a bullseye on their back now. Ole Miss is going to find out what these pressure SEC games are about instead of coming up late in the year and trying to spoil someone's season. Now, I mean, when does Mississippi State and Ole Miss start playing tighter? Because the last couple of games they played very loose, nothing to lose. When is there something to lose, Jonathan? That's what I'm trying to ask. Well, I mean, these teams are both going to see some tough games uh, coming up within the next, you know, three, four, five weeks. 
and I want to say it right now, Mississippi State and Ole Miss will both have one loss going into that Egg Bowl. Uh, I'm going to say it right now. They're both going to have one loss going in. Um, they're both good football teams. Don't get me wrong, but they still got some tough games to play. I mean, Ole Miss still has Auburn on the schedule. Mississippi State still has Alabama. You know, I mean, there's going to be some tough games coming up real soon that are really going to test these teams, and I have a feeling both of them are both going to suffer a loss before that Egg Bowl. So that Egg Bowl, as much as people are like, oh, they're both going to be 11 and 0, they're probably both going to be 10 and 1 going in. It's still going to hold weight because the winner of that Egg Bowl will probably go on to the SEC Championship game. Um, I don't know if they'll beat Georgia. I mean, I, you know, Georgia has turned around. They are a very good football team, and there's no doubt in my mind they're the front runner for the SEC East. Um, but still, I don't think neither. I don't think either one of these teams is going to go undefeated. I don't think either team is going to be able because they've never been in this spot before. So they don't really know how to handle it. You know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. And I don't know, Trey, if it would surprise you, but looking at the future for Ole Miss, they're going to be underdogs possibly in two games. And I know one of them is going to surprise you when I say Ole Miss is a one-and-a-half-point underdog at LSU October 25th. This is a future line out that was updated today. I just can't imagine LSU being favored over Ole Miss right now. And Auburn would be a two-point favorite over Ole Miss. I think Ole Miss will shift to a favorite by game time, Trey. But does that surprise you that Ole Miss is, is going to be underdog in those two games? I had a dozen LSU game for sure. And let me just talk about Mississippi State, Tarvin. Do you know the last time they were the AP number one team in the in the country? When was that? 1928? It never. It's never happened. Okay. Um, and trick so, question. Think about this. Think about this. Yeah, trick question. We saw, you know, Kansas State. We've seen teams who haven't been there. And you and I talk about this constantly. I know you and I are preaching to ourselves here. But the teams that have the pressure of number one, it's not like playing number two, Tarpon. You and I know it's not like playing as number three. It's a different kind of pressure when you are the number one team in the country. And so that pressure is going to be huge. Uh, We saw them come out against Auburn and play sloppy in the second half. And I just wonder if once they're the number one team and, and they walk around campus all week long as the number one team, and if that builds further, if if, if they keep going as number one, uh, we'll have to see how they take it because this is a first impression for a lot of these guys. And this is like you and I talked earlier today. This is the only year they're going to have a shot at this. They're not, they're not deep enough next year to lose all their seniors. So we'll have to see because you have to know that they know that as well. Well, the thing that, you know, Mississippi State fans think they're just going to waltz into Tuscaloosa November 15th and win, but, I mean, that's going to be brutal. Playing Arkansas at home, even though it's in Starkville, how will this team mentally be? October 25th before that, traveling to a Kentucky team that that has nothing to lose and they're they're getting better every week. Mississippi State better be very fortunate that they have a bye week right now because playing three top ten teams in a row and beating them, you need to be able to recover. But how are they going to come out after for two weeks hearing how great they are, how you're the best, Prescott, you're the best quarterback in the country? It's just hard to do that. And, you know, last year when I was pulling for Auburn and Auburn had their run, there was really no pressure up until we got to Alabama. And it was like, uh-oh, you know, this is a, a big game here. If we win, we go to the SEC championship. But it's just a lot of pressure. And six weeks in – 
is not enough time to be able to tell how good a team is. We're going to have to see him play other teams as well. I'm not ready to say how good Auburn is. After losing to Mississippi State yesterday and the way they've looked all season, I haven't been that impressed. So I'm wondering when Auburn's going to come shooting out of the gate and and playing good football. I thought we had a taste of it against LSU last weekend, but this offensive line's given given me some trouble watching it. Jonathan, you made a point about Georgia being a great team right now. I, I just... I don't see that. I think Missouri is a very, very bad team, and I think Georgia matched up well with them with Chubb running the football. But without Gurley, Jonathan, a number 10 Georgia team will not be able to win out, I don't think. And and, and even if they don't win out, that doesn't mean they won't be in Atlanta. I don't see anybody in the East as capable of beating Georgia in the East. So maybe you're saying they're going to win the East, but I just don't see them winning out without Gurley being at the running back position. Well, I mean, Gurley is a very good running back. There's no doubt about that. Uh, definitely um, one of the best running backs in the nation. Him and Melvin Gordon have really just taken over um, that spotlight. But Chubb's a very good running back. Very, you know, a lot of people are knocking on him coming out of high school because he played at the, the lowest division of high school football in the state of Georgia and was tearing it up and going, well, look who he's playing against. Well, I mean, you still got to be good to do what you're doing. Uh, you know, they said that Sonny Michelle, very good running back from Florida. You still have uh, Marshall. I mean, this is not a bad stable running back to have in Georgia. Um, this defense is, it looks like it's improving every week. This defense is getting better under Pruitt every week. There's always been a lot of talent there. I'm not saying they're going to win out. I still think their game against Auburn is going to be extremely tough. But they're going to beat Florida. You know, they're just looking at their schedule. They're going to walk in probably 10-2 and two into Atlanta. And if they match up with Ole Miss or Mississippi State, I think they could beat either one of those schools. If they get a rematch yeah. against Auburn, we could definitely see what happens. If they somehow get Alabama, you know, it could be very interesting what goes on there. I don't think there, there's not one clear-cut standout team, not only in SEC but in college football. There's not one team you're looking at going, wow, this is a great team. They're dominating everybody. There's no way they're going to lose. And, you know, just heads up, last year there were a couple teams we were like, oh, wow, we're dominating people. This, 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 you know, like with Florida State last year, we were blowing everybody out. This year it seems like they're struggling. They're a little slow. Well, not everybody is as good as they were last year. Every every team, it looks like the bottom's gotten better and the top has gotten a little weaker. So it's creating better competition. There's more parity this year than I think there has been in previous years. And that's why, you know, you can't write off Georgia yet. You can't write off all these other schools because this is going to be a great battle to the finish. Trey, I, I just can't get over the the loss to South Carolina for Georgia. When the stage was big for them and they, they lost at South Carolina, I just think that could come back and haunt them in the committee's eyes. Just say they were 10-2 and two and they won the SEC. Would you take a two-loss Georgia SEC champion, Trey, or would you take a one-loss uh, Mississippi State or an Ole Miss team that lost that game? I mean, could you put a two-loss Georgia in the playoffs with a loss to South Carolina? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, the SEC champion is going to have a real real good shot to get in. Uh, tough time to not getting in. Uh, maybe if they beat an undefeated team, you know, maybe something quirky. But the thing about this, I mean, I'm not so sure they're going to have just two losses. I mean, at Arkansas, Florida with nothing to lose, at Kentucky who's just looking to beat somebody, and then Auburn on number 15th, and they still have Georgia Tech. So, 
you know, they struggled against them pretty mightily last year, and Georgia Tech wasn't very good. So, I, I don't know, man. And I, I'm, I'm not sure Gurley's out for the whole year either, but we'll, we'll have to see. Well, you know, you brought that up. I mean, we hadn't, we didn't get to have a show Wednesday night, and Trey, or I'll start with you, Jonathan. Gurley, you know, signing autographs, some rat age or some rat guy, you know, turned him in for doing this. But what I'm hearing, there's a lot of money that Gurley made. It wasn't just $400 like some people are running around saying. I'm hearing that Gurley may not play in college football again, and that may not be a bad thing for Gurley because he could save his legs and get ready to be a first-rounder in the NFL next year. But do you think Gurley is going to come back and play? I think if he's given the opportunity to, he will. The only problem is I don't know if the NCAA is going to allow this. And for everybody saying, well, what he did wasn't done, why isn't he allowed to do this? I, I understand. Players should be allowed to make money if they're signing autographs and they're being sold, things like that. I get that. That's not a problem. My thing is, and it's kind of one of the same lines as Josh Gordon for the Browns. That if you're, if you know you're not allowed to do this. Okay, it's a fact. You know, you've seen previous instances where this is not going to work out if you get caught, and you decide to do it anyways. You deserve to get in trouble. You deserve to get suspended or whatever, okay? Because you're stupid enough to do it. Josh Gordon's suspension, and Josh Gordon didn't get suspended a full season for just failing that pot test, okay? Josh Gordon has a long history of failing these, knowing that he's not supposed to. Look at how he got kicked out of Baylor, got kicked out of Utah, and has already failed two in the NFL. Okay, that's four. They got him on a fifth stun of the whole year, essentially. Okay, Josh Gordon, you look at it and said, you're just dumb. Well, Todd Gurley, you're looking at it going, dude, do you not remember what happened to Manziel last year? How stupid can you be? Like, really? You know you're not allowed to do this, and you did it anyway. And then not only that, but you know the guy you did it with? Remember the whole false assault charge that popped up like a month ago when Gurley was out of the bar? Well, that guy was the one who called the cops on him. Okay? So you already knew this guy was going to flip on you. Because you already made him mad. He already called the cops on you once. Like, really? Come on, man. How dumb can you be? Yeah, but these guys are, are – it's going on everywhere, I think. A lot of guys are making some money. It's just, Trey, can you can you get ratted on or, or do you not get ratted on? That's a, that's the question. But Paul Ewing, man, has posted 100 articles in Way in Sports, Trey, about Winston. I mean, you're a Florida State man. Tell me – what the latest is on Winston, and some people are saying he may never, you know, he may not finish the season this year. What does that mean for Florida State, Drake? Well, first off, there's a lot of people focusing a lot of stuff about both Gurley and Winston right now that aren't really uh, true. Uh, and oddly enough, both of these things seem to come from one source, Tarvin, and that source is Florida fans. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm just calling it like it is, man. Like, the guy who was doing the memorabilia <laughs> stuff is a Florida Gator. Um, so, you know, a lot of it is speculation, and I don't know where we are right now in the Winston. All I can tell you is he'll face a disciplinary hearing. I can already tell you two people who are involved, who are involved in this alleged incident faced a disciplinary hearing and, it, and didn't get anything. So um, what do we know about Winston? All we know is that he'll face something at Florida State, a disciplinary hearing. There are people who are saying that, oh, well, he's going to withdraw from school now because he'll, he's going to face this legal thing. Well, all we have is the statement from his attorney who said, um, we, we, you don't withdraw from school when you're innocent, and he is, and that's, and that's what we have to go off of. So I don't, he's not withdrawing from school. 
they'll face a disciplinary hearing uh, by um, basically instead of a you know a panel from the school because of the way the school handled this, which is you know let's just say the school has handled this poorly. Uh, it's going to be three independent people, and uh, each side will get to choose basically one to kick, and then one person who remains will be the person who decides whether or not Winston violated the school policy. Jonathan, if Winston's found guilty and he's kicked out of school, what can the NCAA do about that? I mean, is there any power that the NCAA has here? Could could they forfeit games or take the Heisman away or what? Well, there has been talks of that, and, I mean, I understand how people are saying, well, if Winston's found, then they're going to start taking away everything. That's a problem. I mean, here's my thing. We know Winston won the highs. We won Florida State, won that championship. We know Florida State's won 22 games in a row. Okay? You can't take that away. It's like when they took away Joe Paterno's wins, when they took away Bobby's wins, things like that. We already know it happened. You're taking it away for what reason? For the record books? Who cares? We already know what actually happened. Okay. Here's the, the NCAA at the end of the day. If Winston is found guilty, it's probably going to do the witch hunt and start yanking everything. We're going to take this. We're going to take this. You played an eligible player. We're going to take this. We're going to take. And it's just, it's going to become a real mess. Is what's going to happen. And it's going to be the same thing if Burley's found out to get in trouble. Georgia might wind up getting in trouble and having to win Jack. And next thing you know, well, everybody's just looking around going, "What just happened?" Well, I know. I mean, what did Winston do to be ineligible? That's what. I mean, did he break an NCAA rule? I mean, that, so how could the NCAA come in and, and take away something because they played an ineligible player? The last thing, the last time I heard, you know, they can't find any evidence or anything. So, so Trey, I'll ask you. You're the you're the legal man here. What what power would the NCAA have, even if Winston, if Florida State did handle this poorly and the police department covered it up? Did he break an NCAA rule? No, I don't. I don't think that. I don't think that's gonna happen. I think if he if he gets found to violate school policy, this will be the first finding. So Florida State hasn't played a player who is ineligible in any way until that point. Now, if he got got played after that, but again, that's school policy. So that's not an NCA policy. The only thing that an NCA could do um, really is if Florida State decided to play him anyway, which there would be no way to do that if he got let's say kicked out of school, which is. Probably, yeah. I mean, who knows what's going to happen. I won't speculate on that. But I will say that I just don't see that happening. I mean, because if, if he gets kicked out of school, he's not going to play. Um, so I think the problem would, would basically work itself out. But that, there's not going to be any retroactive here. Well, well, I'm going to take my – if it happens and they lose that championship, I'm going to take my, my Auburn runner-up championship shirt and I'm going to take it and take the runner-up and get it deleted and put champions, you know. Should I claim that championship, Jonathan? <laughs> oh, all right now, Alabama fan. I'm joking, man. You think I would I would want that, honestly, no. I mean I I was I saw what happened on the field. I mean, you know, Winston won the game, Florida State beat Auburn, and you can't take it away from my memory. Even if you get, if you put it in the record books, who cares? Nobody cares. All all people care about is what's happening now, what's happening this season. And really, last year doesn't even matter anymore. But there were some great games in college football. I'm just – I was disturbed. We'll talk about the Auburn game in a little while. Tino's going to come on. Trey, Tino is going to own you tonight on on this show. I don't I don't know if you're scared yet or not, but we're going to bring Tino on. But let's, let's start in the ACC. 
the conference is not getting a lot of love. Duke four and one went on the road to Georgia Tech five and zero. Trey, they pulled out a victory, and and I'll be honest, I didn't watch much of this game, but I wasn't impressed with either team while I was watching the short amount I watched. The only thing I'm impressed with is the fact that last year Duke had, you know, we thought was a sort of magical season for Duke, making the ACC championship game, and look what David Cutcliffe has done again. They're five and one. I mean, crazy. So I mean, hats off to Duke. You know how hard it is to win at places like Duke and Vandy. So I mean, for a coach like Cutcliffe to come in there and do it the right way, and not the way that Vandy did it, um, I I give him a lot of credit. I mean, you know, the game is the game, Tarvin. But just Duke being relevant again in football when they haven't been relevant since the guy named Spurrier coached there, it's a pretty big deal for Cutcliffe. So a lot of credit to them. Very impressed with Duke. I mean, Duke is a team, like you said, it's hard to win games there. And all of a sudden, they follow, they're following up last last year's record season with a – I mean, they're 5-1 and one now through six games. I mean, I'm impressed, Jonathan. I know the, the ACC is not the strongest conference out there, but, but you have to be impressed with what Cutcliffe's doing. They lost their offensive coordinator, and, and they're still putting up good numbers. Yeah, I mean, I'm very impressed with Duke this year. Um, you know, they, they're they're carrying over what they did last year. This is a team that, I mean, they're not blowing anybody out. They're not really dominating any games. But they're finding ways to win. And that's really the important thing. I don't care if you win by one or you win by 100. As long as you win the game, you're doing something right. I mean, playing Georgia Tech is never easy because of the offense they run. It's hard to game plan for that kind of an offense. It's the triple option with the cut block, the offensive line and everything, it, it's a real mess. To try and game plan for that. So the way that you know that they were able really to kind of manhandle and shut down Georgia Tech's offense for a good portion of that game, you know, very impressed. Uh, Duke is still moving along on offense. This is a football team that you just keep your eye on because you know at the end of the year they might have ten wins again. Yeah, and again, that's a, that was a good game. Put in the books. I'm glad I live in Atlanta now. I'm having to hear how Georgia Tech was better than Georgia, and I'm like, come on. Get that out of here. But anyway, the next game is one I want to talk about. I found very interesting, Trey. The Alabama Crimson Tide go on the road to Arkansas. They win 14-13. to Arkansas shot themselves in the foot. I'm not going to lie about it. Arkansas, Trey, should have won this game. They had 18 first downs, the 10 for Alabama. Arkansas had 335 yards compared to 227. And I was surprised Allen had 246 passing. Sims had 161, but the stat of the day for me is Arkansas held Alabama to 66 yards rushing, Trey, 66 yards rushing. What, what's going on in Tuscaloosa right now? Well, I mean, something, something's going on. I, I, think it, I think it's more in the trenches than anything else. Um, Blake Sims didn't have a terrible game. I mean, he looked fine to me. Uh, I watched most of the game. I, I just saw – uh, an offensive line. I saw receivers who, when to be honest, when Amari Cooper was, I saw receivers not running good routes. You know, the, the other side of the ball. Um, and so, offensive line and receivers. I mean, I know the rushing attack was pretty was pretty lame this past weekend, but I mean, that's where the problem I saw Tarvin was was offensive line and blocking, and then receiving routes for the other guys who weren't Amari Cooper. Well, think that here's a quote from Sims that. Kind of concerned me. Like, he actually thought they played hard and good. He said, I think the thing that motivated us, helped us play so hard this week, was the loss to Mississippi. 
the loss hurt us bad, so bad, because we knew we were probably better than that other team. Well, if you were motivated after that old Miss loss, so you come into Arkansas, a team that hadn't won a game in the SEC since Reagan was in office, and you run for 66 yards, you throw for 161. Alabama looked out of sort. They looked out of sync. Saban looked like he was like me yesterday, about to have a heart attack watching his team play. And all of a sudden, after that Florida game, when the Bama fans were, were praising Lane Kiffin, they were saying he's going to change the, the SEC with this. He can't even get 200 yards of offense now, Trey. And, and I'm telling you, Arkansas fumbled the ball into the end zone for a touchback that would have been six points. They got an extra point blocked. And I'm tell, that game would have been different. Arkansas, you look on the stat sheet, and it's not all about stats, but they won that game. 9 of 19 on third downs, 4 of 15 for Bama. Three turnovers for Arkansas, though. That was the key to the game. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, how is how is Alabama trade favored 12 and a half over Texas A&M next week? I mean, what am I not seeing in that game? Well, I mean, A&M's got problems of its own, which is part of the problem with that. I mean, but we'll see. I mean, was Alabama kind of sleepwalking through the game? I, I don't know, man. I, I don't know. Brandon Allen, I didn't think – I mean, I was surprised at his numbers, too, when they added up to what they were because I, mean, I was just shocked at how poor he played at times. Um, and I was also surprised, to be honest, that Arkansas abandoned the run way more than I think they should have in the fourth quarter. Um, I know they were down, you know, but I was like, man, why are they giving up on the – we have Brandon Allen throwing the ball. Yeah, and so, I mean – all of them have got problems, Tarvin, but we're going to see. I think A&M's in such a desperate position. We'll see who really comes out because A&M being so desperate with two losses, you know, they're going to fight this Alabama game like like this is it for them. I mean, so we'll have to, you know, we'll have to see how Alabama well, comes back out. Well, I'll give Alabama credit on defense. They held Arkansas to 89 yards rushing, and that's a team that, that lives and dies by the run. But I think you're right. They did abandon it. I think they may have abandoned it because they just couldn't run the football. I mean, that that was the bottom line. Their best running back, Jonathan Williams, he was averaging 4.2 a carry. He, he only had 20 of them, though. Alex Collins didn't do much. But Alabama, that these games are going to happen. Arkansas is on the cusp. They're on the brink of breaking through. Alabama survived it. And really, at the end of the day, that's all that matters. But I do have big concerns about the offensive line for Alabama, Jonathan. And I do have concerns at quarterback. I just don't think Alabama can win an SEC championship with Blake Sims at quarterback. I've said it all summer. I said it during the season. I still am not sold on him as a quarterback. So when do you start looking at other options maybe just to see? Coker's on the bench right now. Uh, you know, but the problem right now with, with Blake Sims is people forget he was a running back who's converted to safety who's been converted to quarterback. He's not exactly going out there looking to throw for 300 yards. He's not going to be a game manager. There were times where you watched him in the Ole Miss game and in the Arkansas game where instead of just throwing the ball away, he kept trying to run and make something happen, and he's losing yards. On a fourth and issue for Alabama in the Arkansas <laughs> game, instead of, you know, I don't know, quarterback sneak, push forward. He didn't even bother pushing forward. He just went, like, straight up in the air. And went, it looked like he went to extend the ball, pulled it back, and went, oh, that's not really a good idea right now. And so they're going, what are you doing? Like, in all honesty, like, what are you doing? And you could see Lane Kiffin do the same thing. What are you doing? And a quarterback plays worrying me. And I think you have to – you really need to start giving Coker a shake at this. 
You're right. The offensive line does not look very good. They got a true freshman starting a left tackle, um, and he seems to have his hands full at times. Their guard play has been stellar. I mean, I'm, I'm just this is not a very good Alabama team offensively. Defensively, they're fantastic, very good bunch. But offensively, this this offense seems like it's struggling, and they're having a hard time getting the ball down the field, especially through the air. I mean, everybody's looking at the Florida game, going look at that, and I go, well. I mean, what did you guys have to do against Florida? And, and, and LSU just dropped 30 on them. It's only Florida's got this great defense here that he keeps talking about. So uh, it's just going back and forth going, is it really that his lines and Lake Sims? What is actually going on here? And I just think it's a combination of both. Well, Trey, A.J. McCarron came on the air after the loss to Ole Miss, and, and, and he said that, Really, the problem was Saban is kind of a micromanager. He will not allow Lane Kiffin to open up the offense. And I know Feinbaum crucified A.J. McCarron, but at the end of the day, you're you're talking to a quarterback that played for Nick Saban that won two national championships going for his third. Don't you think A.J. was telling the truth? Do you think he would come out there and say something? He said the team didn't have leadership. And and he was talking about some of Saban's tendencies. I mean, what did AJ McCarron say wrong? I know you heard the uh, the comments. Well, I mean, one, I think AJ McCarron probably doesn't know a whole lot about what's going in the locker room right now. Maybe he does. I don't know. Maybe he's texting people, and that's what he's getting back from them. But on the same point, Tarvin, um, you know, looking at McCarron, you know, sometimes you wonder if people want people make comments at a certain time. And I'm looking at a third-string quarterback in the NFL whose reality show is gone, and, and maybe, maybe he just wants to get back on the TV. I, I don't know. I mean, there, there's some truth to it, Tarvin, but I think some of it may be him stretched a little bit. Well, I, I must be in the dark because I missed on that reality show. I never got to watch it. But, <laughs> but let's, let's, let's move on to the next game, which was very entertaining. LSU took their 4-2 and two record. Remember, LSU lost to Mississippi State and Auburn. They go to the swamp. Florida boasting a three and one record, only lost to Alabama, and uh, I just don't, I just don't understand, Trey. If you're must champ, how you're going to actually keep your job? Yeah, I mean it's getting hard because now, obviously, you know, Trey on Harris might be back next week after his sexual assault allegation. Uh, now he's reinstated. Um, they might have won this game with him, Tarvin. He's a talented quarterback. Um, but this game just really showed you how problematic Jeff Driscoll still is. I mean, he didn't look good in this game. LSU played Jennings, who didn't look good at all, and this was just a battle of teams that are struggling, and it was a struggle to watch. The score was entertaining, but, man, it was bad football. LSU got the victory, Tarvin, but, I mean, Florida is just all over the place right now. And, and, Jonathan, I'm going to tell you what I've learned from this game last night was the SEC West is so much better than the SEC East. You have a team in LSU that got blew, blown out by Mississippi State and Auburn. They go to the swamp now. That's the key to this. They go to Florida with some momentum. And, and I think LSU's a team, and tell me if I'm wrong, Jonathan, I think they're going to get better Every week, and they're going to be problems for teams like Ole Miss, teams like Alabama, teams that want to win a national championship or an SEC championship. They're going to have to go through LSU, and I think as the weeks go on, this team's going to get much better. They're very talented. They're just young. 
I agree. I mean, LSU is a football team that's very young. It's one thing that a lot of people seem to forget. It's a team that every year they have like ten underclassmen who declare. So you're not you're not just losing your seniors every year, but you're also losing underclassmen on top of that. So they're they're literally recruiting guys to play now. That's very hard to rely on true freshmen to play now and compete against juniors and seniors in the other schools. LSU will continue to get better and better. Uh, we're going to see that every week. I mean, you're right. Muschamp, Muschamp has to beat Georgia, and he has to beat South Carolina. Or they can keep his job. Before the year, it was, I will beat Georgia, win eight games, uh, you keep your job. But now it's, you got to beat Georgia and South Carolina. Your job is gone. Because you should have lost Kentucky. And I don't think that's what it that is not going to hold that over your head. I mean, Tennessee, you <laughs> struggle with, too. So, Muschamp's in trouble. We'll see what happens with Sean Harris, how he looks in the upcoming games. Because you know he's going to start. This one ain't keeping that job. And I think this Florida defense isn't that good. Um, and that's really, you know, supposed to be much chance strength. That's another reason why everybody's sitting there going, how is Florida's defense not look good? they got all this talent. Yet their defense was very suspect against the pass. Um, and then you got this offense, which they don't have a quarterback right now who can figure out how to distribute the ball properly. I mean, it's a mess. It really is a mess in Gainesville. And I'm going to go ahead and announce it again. I've, I've announced it ten times. Dan Mullen will be the next coach at Florida. There's no way, unless he can recruit five stars and four stars, you may see every four or five years Dan Mullen be re- relevant. But I think he's going to be at, at Florida next year. And let's move on to the Pac-12 showdown. The Southern Cal Trojans, one of the most inconsistent teams I've ever watched, go on the road to Arizona, Trey. They beat Arizona 28-26, to and they don't do it through the air. I mean, they do it really on the ground, 239 yards rushing. But one thing that concerned me about Southern Cal, 13 penalties, 103 yards worth of penalties. How do they go on the road and win a game with that many penalties? Yeah, this was and this was a game that I wish would have been earlier. It was a <laughs> And going back through the play-by-play, I was just this was in a very entertaining game. The Hots were very entertaining. I wish I'd have been able to stay up and watch it. Uh, the, this one came down to the very end as well. I, I just didn't have a lot of faith in Arizona, even at home. I know they're a different home team under Rich Rodriguez, but this was just one of those games that struck me as a, as a lose for Arizona. USC, all the problems, Tarvin. You, you, this team is just nowhere near as disciplined as I thought they were. Um, even though they pull out this win, you're right. This, this team had a lot of problems, and that just surprised under Sarkeesian the lack of discipline. Uh, I just really thought they'd be a lot more disciplined than they are. No, they're. I don't. I don't like the Southern Cal team, and and the undisciplined means inconsistent. You saw them go to Boston College and get rolled, and and they they won last night. I mean, Trey Pac-12, are they good? Are they average? What what, what is the Pac-12? I still don't see an, anything to tell me that they're a conference you need to watch out for come come playoff time. Well, I, I don't know that they're going to be able to get in the playoff because, I mean, Oregon is still their only shot, I, at least in my book. Uh, I just don't see a team in the Pac-12 that, that could come out of there and really make noise. I mean, you look at, you know, Stanford has got two losses. Overall, um, you know, they're not really going to be able to come out if they win the Pac-12 and make and make the playoff. I mean, you have Arizona now at five and one, Arizona State four and one, Utah four and one. I mean, you really see any of those teams coming out? It's really Oregon or nothing for the Pac-12. 
which is where we thought, kind of. I don't know a lot of people were on the UCLA bandwagon um, before the season, but you know, Oregon still has a shot to make it in. Obviously, they need a lot of help, Tarvin. And Jonathan, I'll start with you on the the next game, Oklahoma Texas. I mean, if you're Oklahoma, you're you're coming off a loss against TCU. Uh, you you come against Texas and you get held to 232 yards of offense, 129 passing, 103 rushing. You give up almost 500 yards to Texas and you pull a win out, 31 to 26. I mean, tell me about Oklahoma here. I mean, are, are they deserving to be in the top ten? I'm not thinking so right now. Well, what this game told me was it's a Mother Red River rivalry shootout. It's another great game between these two schools. Um, it told me that the Texas defense has improved on the Charlie Strong every week. They're getting better and better. And that's one thing that I think we all expected. Now the offense has to get up to speed, which Tyrone Swoops did not do a bad job. Uh, I mean, if you heard the name before, he was a legend coming out of high school in Texas. So, Look at Oklahoma, though. Their offense struggled, and it, it just wasn't pretty. And I'm watching this game. I'm, you know, I'm putting back and forth in all these games. I'm trying to keep my eye on this one because this was really the closest game at, at the noontime. And I'm sitting there going, what's going on? Oklahoma can't run the football. They can't throw the football. I mean, this game just looks like it, it's, a, it's a little bit of a mess. And I'm kind of worried offensively. Is Trevor Knight starting to regress? This is Trevor Knight we saw last year against West Virginia because he did not look very good. Um, I mean, there were plays where he would throw a ball and it's batted down by defensive ends, defensive tackles, and you're sitting there going, what are you doing? I mean, come on, bud. You elevate the ball. You can't let it – it gets back down once. Okay, it gets back down twice. Four of them, okay, now you're really pushing your luck. And that's essentially what was happening. I mean, real struggle. I mean, you just got to be impressed with Oklahoma special teams. They, kept, they literally kept this team in the game. Well, Trey, are you buying what Jonathan said? This is a, a big rival game because I've seen rival games where we've lost forty-nine to nothing. You know, we just didn't have the talent or the team. What is Charlie Strong doing, or what isn't Bob Stoops doing right now? Well, I mean, Charlie Strong deserves some credit here. That team, you know, booting nine people off that team, I mean, they have walk-ons uh, that are that are playing. I mean, so the fact that they're competing. Is is commendable, but the other half is is you know, I never bought Trevor Knight. Uh, that may say something about Alabama, by the way, that Trevor Knight doesn't look good this year. Uh, we'll have to see, but do, don't buy Trevor Knight as a solid quarterback. And having watched Oklahoma play on offense last year, this looks like Oklahoma all over again from last season. So maybe they'll pull it out and, and make some sort of, you know, decent bowl game at the end. But I just don't see them being a team who, who's going to be in the playoff at all. Well, Tino, I'm going to bring you on, man. Uh, make sure you're not on some Bluetooth or speaker and uh, press number one when you want to get on. I was going to bring Tino on. I don't think he's pressed number one yet. So uh, just make sure the speaker phone is, is not on. But we'll move on, really. Oklahoma, Texas, I mean, yeah, you got to give Charlie Strong some credit here, but Bob Stoops, man, he's he's whined all year about the SEC, and and here he comes laying an egg. He had a chance to to get into the playoff, but now his his back's against the wall. We'll see how they perform in the weeks coming up. But the next game, you talk about a boring, ugly game, Georgia Missouri, Trey. I mean, it was a noon kickoff game. It was like thirty, what thirty four to nothing, something like that. Chubb ran all over him. Um, what do you think about this game? Are you ready to put Georgia in the top ten like the AP and coaches poll did, or are you still worried about Georgia? 
No, we shouldn't spend a whole lot of time on this game because Missouri's a bad team. I mean, you've seen Indiana now <laughs> get beat by Northwestern. Missouri's a bad is not a good football team, uh, and so Georgia, who is a decent football team, beat a team who really isn't, and that's really all we can make of this. And the fact that Georgia did it on the road, okay, great. Look, Matty Mock, with everybody preparing for him, looked terrible against Georgia. Yes, the defense and improved has improved. Uh, but Georgia still has a lot of problems to figure out before um, we can put them even talking about a playoff, playoff as well. They have a shot, Tarvin, um, but it's a long shot. All right. Well, Tino is in studio. Tino is in the house. I'm always entertained when Tino calls in. Tino, welcome to the show, man. Welcome. What's going on? What's, what's going on, Trey? How are you, you feeling, man? Hey, what's up, Tino? Welcome back, buddy. Uh, how's everybody doing, man? Nice. Wonderful. How y'all feel about I'm this college weekend, man? Shake up Saturday, wasn't it? I thought, I thought last weekend was shake up Saturday. Yeah, well, when you got two Mississippi State teams in the top three, it still shook up if you <laughs> ask me because something, something, ain't, something ain't right about that. Like, I, I tried to take a nap today and wake up because I thought I was dreaming. It just – I don't know, man. I, I never – I don't know, man. We're living our last days, I guess. I don't know. Yeah, I never saw that one coming. But the Georgia Bulldogs, we're not going to spend much time on them, Tino. But I know I know you're kind of on the Georgia bandwagon right now, but I'm not ready to jump on there just yet. Man, I'm going to tell you, man, um, it's like this, man. Uh, a team can rally behind one thing, and it can make them a stronger unit. Um, when one man goes down and y'all depending on that one man for pretty much everything, either you're going to fold, bend, or break. And and And, and – and one thing that Georgia's doing right now, that they're rallying in another way. They're they're actually they're, they got their guys stepping up. They know Gurley's out. Everybody's stepping up and and, and doing more. Like uh, Nick Chubb is going to be a great running back at the University of Georgia. My thing, I don't like the University of Georgia, but I'm not a, a homer. I'm I'm not a hater. The University of Georgia is a legit college football team. Are they great? No. Are they good? Yes. And in college football, you can beat anybody on any given day. Georgia does have playmakers at the skilled positions. Their quarterback lacks experience, but if you've been watching him, he's starting to make some – he's going through his progressions now. He's not as anxious as he was. He's making better throws. His numbers look better because he's settling down. He's calming down. And, um, I mean, he's he's an older kid. He's, I think, a fifth-year senior, but he hasn't had any PT. And the PT he did have was garbage time, but now he's actually in there. And if you watch it, he made some really good throws. I'm saying Georgia can upset anybody on any given Saturday. Yeah, that's a good point. Well, let's move on real quick to the Oregon-UCLA game. I think Paul Ewing, uh, he picked Oregon to blow out UCLA. And I know the score is 42-30, to 30, but it, I don't think it was as close as that, Jonathan. Oregon going on the road, getting a big-time win. They – they gave up a lot of ground yards, rushing yards. But what do you think about the Oregon Ducks? Well, I mean, I think Oregon is is the same Oregon as we – well, it's going to be the same Oregon team we see every year. They're going to start beating up on everybody in their conference and they're going to start smoking teams. This Oregon team is not as good as teams fast. I mean, that's just a fact of life. I mean, this game was 42-10 to 10 at one point. It was ugly. I, it, it hey, just hold, on, hold on just a second. Hold on. If somebody has their TV on in the background, please turn it off. 
Tino. I got you. I got you. I'm doing it right now. All right. All right, buddy. I thought it was you. Go ahead, John. Yeah, I mean, this game was ugly. The only entertaining part of this game was when uh, UCLA just put the coordinator and Jim Morris started getting into it. That was probably the best part about it. It was kind of humorous. <laughs> um, but, I mean, Brett Hundley, once again, that offensive line let him down. Oregon got their starting left tackle back. That was huge for Mariota. They were able just to carve up this defense. UCLA has been officially uh, fallen to the uh, the pretender pile, which, I mean, if anybody knew before the season, they knew UCLA really wasn't that good. It was just too much hype because of one quarterback who, in all honesty, isn't really that good. Brett Hundley is a good uh, – don't get me wrong, he's a good quarterback, but he's nowhere near the lines that people are putting him in. No, I agree. Trey, Oregon, I mean, they probably have a favorable schedule, but I think UCLA was overrated. I mean, it was a good win on the road anytime you go on the road, but I don't think Oregon's out of the woods just yet. I mean, I still see some holes in this team. I have a lot of concerns, so – I do see them dropping at least one more game, which would eliminate them from the playoffs, in my opinion. Yeah, they they certainly can't lose again. But Marietta, Marietta looked really good in this game. I, I watched a lot of it. I uh, loved the way Marietta played in this game. And this is a game that kind of helped him along for, you know, uh, his coming back and, and, and facing this season. Yeah, Oregon's got some super challenges left on the schedule. I mean, Washington this week is going to be a challenge at Cal, who is a much improved, and, of course, in their kryptonite in Stanford. And, by the way, Utah looks pretty good. They have to go on the road, and we know what Utah has done at home before in the Pac-12, mm-hmm. and then, of course, the Civil War. So, yeah, they're not out of the woods yet, Tarvin. But, you know, Mariota looked better. Having his left tackle seemed to make him a lot less happy seat in the pocket in that game. Uh, he was able to scramble where he wanted to scramble too, and it was much more accurate uh, Saturday. So good win for Oregon, but yeah, they have a long road to go before they're back to being a contender. Well, Tino, I'll start with you in this game. Ole Miss goes on the road, and they they actually surprised me. I thought Texas A&M would take care of business being at home, but but either Ole Miss is that good or Texas A&M is that bad. Which one is it, Tino? Well, first of all, I want to know why did you skip me on the Oregon game? Because I feel like in the Pac-12, and I ain't trying to change the subject, but I feel like in the Pac-12 that that division, I really think it's it, it, it's an even battle. Like those teams beat each other up, but they can't beat anybody else up. I, and I'm not picking on any of those schools. I just think they, they lack depth like some of the other divisions do. But Ole Miss and Texas A&M, I, I didn't predict Ole Miss to go up 21 to nothing or nothing. You know, I didn't – I wouldn't – I've never seen that. I mean, I'm still shell-shocked at the Bo Wallace that I'm watching. He's like an eighth-year senior for them or something. I think I've been watching him play with them since like 2006 or something. I don't know. But Bo Wallace, man, he's doing amazing things this year, man. I'm really proud of him. Uh, watching kids progress and, and watch them go through uh, controversy, fight through everything that they got. And, and he's a fighter. Bo Wallace is a fighter. He deserves everything they're doing. But Texas A&M, like I heard Trey say earlier, you really don't know what's going on with Texas A&M. I mean, they look great, then they come back, they look good, then they look terrible, they look okay. You don't know what, what's really going on with Texas A&M. They have a lot of problems with their defense and their offense, I think, I think, and, and don't quote me on this, but I think, and don't don't take what I'm saying out of content, but I think they're overrated. And when I say overrated, their players are good, but against lower-tier teams, they look dominant. But against quality opponents, they're average. 
I think that the quarterback is a good quarterback, but at the same time, when when he's playing a, a quality opponent, that that he actually levels off some. He doesn't elevate his game where where Johnny Football did. Johnny Football rose to the occasion. If he was playing a big game, he'll play big. I think that Kenny Hill just just okay. it, you get what you get. Well, Trey, I look at this game and you look at the stats: three turnovers for A and M, none for Ole Miss. You can't win the game turning it over three more times than your opponent in a big-time SEC game. But if you look at Kenny Hill, 42 of 53 for 401 yards, two touchdowns, two picks. Ole Miss only put up 338 yards in this game. I mean, just looking at it, it's Texas A&M being kind of swept under the rug right now because statistically they dominated that game except in turnovers. Yeah, and a lot of that was garbage time. I mean, the fourth quarter of the game was, was up. I mean, Texas A&M scored points. Uh, so, yeah, I, I don't want to throw that. Well, they, well, they, well, they, well man, they, they only outscored them by six points in the fourth quarter. Well, I, yeah, I know. I'm just saying what, I, what I'm saying is, is a lot of those yards came in the fourth quarter for A&M, and I think Ole Miss had sort of changed their game plan defensively. Uh, I, I think that Ole Miss legitimately really good uh, on defense. So, we can kind of discount that loss in that way for A&M, but let's not also, you know, get past the fact that this is a team that didn't really handle Arkansas all that well either, and the only teams they really have beat um, really well are, are teams that you would expect any decent team to beat, SMU, Rice, Lamar. Um, I don't know what it is about A&M, but they play Lamar and then they play Lamone later on. I don't even know if that's a team. Who? Maybe Who? Lamone. Yeah, I don't know. L-A-M-M-O, Louisiana Monroe. Okay, I was like, what? Uh, <laughs> I was like, who's Lamone? I was like, they even a football team? Uh, yeah, Trey's got a good me, point. But here's the thing, Tarvin. Going to Alabama, I don't have confidence in Kenny Trill, if you will, um, <laughs> with, a, with a decent defense. I mean, they've had trouble with decent defenses. Uh, where Johnny Manziel played really well sometimes against decent defense. And so until they can beat somebody who's somebody, uh, the Aggies just to me are a very mediocre team right now. Well, I'm going to tell you a stat that really concerned me for Ole Miss. Two for ten on third downs. And I just think when you're playing later on in the season, you have to be efficient on third down, and that's something – that they weren't. But, look, Bo Wallace, 13-19, 178 yards, one touchdown. And the key here, no interceptions. Bo Wallace is not getting this team beat. He's allowing the defense to, to sink in. You know, he's, he's running the ball, 14 carries for 50 yards, two touchdowns. Jonathan, I mean, Texas A&M, who are they, man? They're a gimmicky offense. I mean, this is one of those teams that it's a high-scoring, potent offense, and, and they're going to remind you a lot of Baylor. Well, Baylor, yeah, can they put up points? That's great. You can't stop nobody. And that's what I'm seeing with A&M. Their defense, as, as much as it has improved, with all the talent they have on defense, it should be improved. Um, but it's still not there. I mean, Ole Miss made sure they didn't lose the game is what happened. With offensively, they made sure they didn't lose. They knew they could do that because the defense is good enough to keep A&M in check. And that's exactly what happened. We saw Ole Miss really dominate this whole game. They controlled the game from start to finish. In the fourth corner, the A&M put up some garbage time stats. Yeah, it's great and all. But when it mattered most, Ole Miss shut it down. And I think this Ole Miss football team is much improved from what we saw last year. And Bo Walsh, the quarterback's improved. 
because he, he's realized, you, you mentioned the stat line. Well, he didn't have to force anything. He didn't force anything. Because Bill Walls last year, in certain situations, would have just been like, okay, well, let me still try to bomb this 40 yards downfield, even though I got the wide-open guy three yards. Well, take the check down, and that's what he's doing. I'm very impressed with the progressions and the maturation in him. And this, the A&M, I just think this is a team that has been exposed from any gimmick. Well, I'll, I'll preview a game real quick, and if, if Alabama doesn't fix whatever it is on offense, and Arkansas is not a good defense, by the way, if they don't fix whatever happened, I think they could struggle a little bit with Texas A&M because one thing Texas A&M is going to do, they're going to move the ball, then they're capable. Like Tino said, you never know what to expect. So you could come in there thinking that A&M's a dead dog, and all of a sudden they, they come in and – and they win, just like they did a couple of years ago at Alabama. So I don't want people out there to think that A&M's just going to roll over and play dead. This, they don't want to go on a three-game losing streak either. So so that'll move us no. to our next game, T, TCU at Baylor, Trey. TCU came in, and honestly, watching this game, you know, went through and watched the highlights, fast-forwarded through some after I recorded it. Can, can anybody in the Big 12 play defense besides Texas? Well, I mean, who knows? But I'll tell you something. When Baylor was down, what, 21 or 24 points in the fourth quarter with, like, nine minutes to go, and watching Bryce Petty throw that football around Tarvin, and you and I, we talked about this one off-air off too, I was just in awe of where Bryce Petty was putting the football in the fourth quarter. Um, guys who were draped over as receivers didn't matter. He was putting it there. Really, really, really impressed with Bryce Petty after this win. Um Baylor obviously is a team that that is kind of, you know like kind of like Texas A&M. You see that they may get stopped at some point because uh, of the defense. They, they're going to be able to give up points, and if for some reason they don't, you know that that wheel isn't turning like it normally is. Baylor's a team that can get beat. Um, but at the same point, Tarvin, if you catch them on the wrong weekend, they can put up 50 on you, and it doesn't really matter. So they're they're a team that's going to be very hard to predict whether or not they can make the Final Four, if you will, because we don't know if they can stay in tune all year long. Um, they have some games in their schedule. I think the one at West Virginia this weekend is real interesting, especially based off you know a come-down game, if you will. So um, Baylor impressed with what Bryce Petty did, but let's see if he can keep doing it. Well, I don't want to skip anybody, but we're going to have to move on. I only got a few minutes left for the Auburn uh, Mississippi State game, I've got to cut out of here a little before 10, so I want to make sure I get that game in. We'll start with you, Tino. The Auburn Tigers go on the road. They they look terrible, man, at times, and they, they fall back. But, but I, I will give the Auburn Tigers credit. They did fight for four quarters. Even when they got down 21 to nothing, they were still clawing. They got it to eight in the fourth quarter, and, and the pass interference call in the end zone. On fourth down, put the ball to two. Mississippi State scored, and it was it was hard to catch them after that one. Bottom bottom line is, no matter who's who, you can't spot anybody points early on, especially on the road. You know, you're giving a team 21 points off the muscle. Um, that's really hard to come back from. I don't care who you are. Michael Jordan would struggle coming back against um, John Starks if he spotted him 21 points. They're playing to 28. I mean, it, it, it's it's a it's an uphill battle. You can't if you're if you spot someone at 21, you can come back, but you can't have any more mistakes. And um, there was some there was some iffy calls and some terrible calls in the game. I don't blame the refs for nothing, 
we we got spanked from the start to the finish. But at the end of the day, what people don't realize is, and our own fan base are some of the, the biggest pansies in the world. And I hate to say it, we lose a game and they give up on the world. They throw the towel in, man. I, I can't go to war with anybody like that, man. You know, it, it, we lost a game. We lost to LSU last year. We came back. We still got a shot. ESPN announcer said if Auburn wins out, they stand the greatest chance to make it to the playoffs. I could care less if Mississippi State or Ole Miss wins the SEC championship. Right now we need to go get this game behind us and go forward. But in this game you had a lot of mistakes that that I held I hold accountable from coaching. Mississippi State did a, a miraculous job, man, watching film and video getting those arms up in the throwing lanes of Nick Marshall repeatedly through that game, that defensive line coach needs all the credit in the world. He's the one that that watched the tape. He's the one that found it out. He deserves the credit. Dan Mullen, he's did probably one of the greatest coaching jobs since Steve Spurrier to to take a school that was just a school that that, that never had a winning tradition or a winning environment and turn them around, man. I, I salute them. I'm glad they beat us because I don't I don't know any Mississippi State fans but one, and they can't harass me. So you know that that what he did, and I agree with what you said earlier. I see Dan Mullen going to Florida. Mississippi State played. They didn't play flawless, but they played good enough to beat us. But they did show they have weaknesses. But I honestly don't see them dropping a game unless they go in like Auburn did in that game and underestimate the opponent, which happens a lot. Um, I really think I really think that, that that they can cruise through, but you know you gotta you gotta watch out. They may or may not slip up. Ole Miss can get them, and y'all were talking earlier about Ole Miss, and I really didn't get to say nothing about it. Ole Miss, it, their their quarterback Bo Wallace is, is programmed. Y'all remember when the Ravens won the Super Bowl? Their offense was told to manage the game. That's just manage it. That's all. That's all Wallace is doing right now. We're used to. He tried to win the game, Brett Favre winging it, and he looked like Tony Romo of, of a couple years past. And, and, and now he's managing the game, he's playing smart, and his defense is doing all the work. Where Mississippi State, their quarterback, man, is, is making defense play better. Their quarterback is playing Cam Newton-ish, Tim, Tim Tebow-ish. He takes over the game when he has to, man. I, Mississippi State played a great game. Their defense is suspect, but their offense is, is really good, and they play so hard, man. Yeah, Trey, I I can't put the blame on the, any of the coaches for Auburn in this game. I mean, just four turnovers, and I, I give Mississippi State some credit coaching, but Gus Malzahn, I think he called the right plays. I think, you know, the players didn't execute it. One thing that surprised me, Mississippi State ran for 223. Auburn ran for 232. That was both teams ran the ball well, 209 passing for Auburn, 246 for Mississippi State. But at the end of the day, Trey, I mean, give us your thoughts of this game. What did you think about Auburn going in on the road and and not performing? Well, I mean, I have to reevaluate Auburn now, who I had number one in the country going into that game. You know, I have, I'll put Mississippi State there for now. But, but Tino brought up a really good point, and I was actually going to bring this up. You look at what Mississippi State done this year on, on offense, and 34 points has been their, their lowest scoring game, and they did that at LSU. So, I mean, you know they're going to score mid-30s every game. So, you know you got to outscore them. But that defense, Tarvin, gave up 34 against UAB, 29 LSU, 31 A&M, 23 Auburn. So, 
it look, you know, this is an improvement on some of the games, but they're still giving up points, Tarvin. So I, I look at them and I, and I wonder, um, you know, if the defense were to get an injury or, or have to have that second unit on the field, and they talked about that so much on air uh, on Saturday, um, about how they basically every time they put the second unit in, Harvard would start driving down the field. Uh, so at some point, that's gonna that's gonna hurt them, and I can see them losing the game. I'm really good. Well, well, I think the the, I, key, the key to me was you know they Mississippi State scored turn scored touchdowns off turnovers. We scored field goals. I mean, you, you can't do that if you're if you're turning the ball over and they're turning it over too. Tino, you you, you got to score touchdowns. And I think Gus Malzahn he does try to get too cute down there with with some of his plays when he could just run the ball in. I'm not going to disagree with you there, but you also got to account as a consideration that that that. that, that where we turned the ball over. I mean, we gave them the goal line, and we stopped them a couple times. And I, I agree with you on the turnover situation, and, and Trey brought up a, a good point. And I, Mississippi's in the top of the pole. I'm getting along with Trey tonight. I know tomorrow we're going to wake up and the world's going to be flooded, man. So what, what Trey brought up a good point, one player goes down for Mississippi State. Like, they remind me, and Trey made me have a flashback, that they're 2010 Auburnish, man. I mean, they, they remind me of them, you know. Their quarterback play dictates everything. Our defense been, but it didn't break. Same thing with Mississippi State. Their defense it'll bend right now, but it's not breaking. I mean, they're they're made to bend, but not break. Just hold. They're they're made to contain. Not they can't hold you. And if Dak Prescott goes down, then where do they go? I mean, an injury can happen on any given play. I mean, we've seen guys break ankles with nobody in front of them running down the field. You know, from Mississippi State standpoint, I would love to see Mississippi State go on and not drop another game for what it would do to, to their school. But everybody's beatable, man. I mean, and one player goes down, like Trey said, anything can happen. I don't think one player on their defense going down hurts as bad as a running back or their quarterback going down. Those two players are their impact players. Their defense is they're a bunch of who's who, good players playing for a cause. They're playing for their quarterback right now and their coach, and, and they're playing above what they're, what they're you know, regular. Those you got to think, they don't – they don't have that many five star, if any, five or four stars on that team. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how they how they bounce back. They get the bye week, then they play South Carolina in Jordan Hare Stadium. That's a big, important game, and then they go to Ole Miss, and I think that'll dictate how good Auburn's going to be and how they finish. I, I could see them, you know, packing in if they lose to Ole Miss and 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 not doing good. I hope that team doesn't do that, guys, but but you never know. But I have to go. I have to cut the short show just a little short. Jonathan, Tino, Trey, thanks for joining me tonight. It's been fun. And I know Quinn's out there listening, but uh, I'm sure he's disappointed, too, at the way Auburn played. But, hey, at least his Irish uh, won a game for him Saturday, and that sets up the big showdown Saturday, Florida State, Notre Dame. Notre Dame is actually a 13-point underdog, Trey. Any comments on that before we go? No, and they uh, they lost a key player already. Uh, so I mean, again, this is it's early on, Tarvin, uh, with a lot of the stuff that's going on. But um, we'll see. It's going to be the game of the week for sure. There's going to be. I did a preview of all the games, sort of looking at my uh, top channel post. I came up with nine solid games uh, right off the top of my head. So I think it'll be another fun week of college football. All right, guys. Wednesday night, eight thirty p.m. Eastern. Join us. We're going to be previewing this upcoming week. Auburn will be off, but we have some big games uh, coming up, so make sure you join us. Have a great week, guys. Come on, man.